depending on the person, sometimes the most important thing is getting rid of the pain. So now we're getting more medical with it versus the coaching philosophy. Because what we do know in the science is that although you can push through the pain, because I talk about pain a lot, obviously, in my, in my world, and people say, well, I can take it, it's fine. Although you can push through the pain, your body will not function the same when in the presence of pain. You will alter the way you use your muscles. You will alter your biomechanics. It's not conscious. You can't control it. So these people who are running through pain are not doing any good for their body. Sooner or later, something else is going to break down. And even though they can tolerate it because they can, you know, mentally, yeah, they've got, I can, I can suck it up. I can suck it up. Well, the only time I have someone suck it up is when they've been training for a year and their event's coming up and come hell or high water, they're going to do it. All right. So let's talk about what we can do so you can suck it up and get through your event and then we'll put you back together after. But these people who are doing this on a regular basis and are popping Advil before every run just to get through their run, oh God, like that's just a rabbit hole they don't want to go down. All right. Here we are for another episode of the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I've got this guy here who I've known for uh, most of my life. Uh, I'm actually sitting in my house, the house that I grew up in, in Westport, Massachusetts, with him at my kitchen table. Anyway, uh, when we started this podcast back in 2016, we we were here in Rhode Island, Newport, Rhode Island, which is super close to where, where I grew up. And we had some guests that we wanted to get on, and Mike was one of them, but we were actually leaving town. Mike's schedule was busy, and we wanted to hit the road to get to Lake Placid. It didn't pan out. And that was three years ago, and now I'm sitting here with Mike Silva of Foundation Performance, and he has totally revolutionized the wow, uh, yeah revolutionized, revolutionized. That's, that's big <laughs> the rehabilitation of athletes and runners and helping them to understand that prehab and nutrition and body awareness and taking care of the things that the little things that will keep you in the game longer because we all want to be doing this longer. I don't know. I I think there's, it's a rare case when athletes want to jump in and jump out. Yeah. So without further ado, I have Mike Silva here from Foundation Performance. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. (laughs) Great to be here. Back in in the Gumkowski kitchen. Yeah. Does it feel weird? It's kind of nostalgic. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's good to have you. Yeah. This is um, a trip down memory lane right now <laughs> because, you know, we were good high school doobies. I don't think a beer was shared in this kitchen. I don't think so either. I think you had a, a party one summer in, in college. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. We were really goody two-shoes, I think, up until college because high school, weren't we going into classrooms and talking about not doing yeah. alcohol and drugs yeah. in high school? Do right. Do right. We did right. <laughs> so Mike and I uh, both went to Bishop Stang High School. Spartans. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So before we jump ahead, because there's so many things I want to talk about. <laughs> We're going to go off on way <laughs> so too many, many tangents. So many tangents. Bear with us. Mike is a super talented dude. No, he, um, So he did play the drums growing up, right? I did. You had a drum set? I did. And Do you still have it? It's funny you ask. <laughs> so played when I was younger, stopped playing in high school, focused on sports and girls in school. And then I uh, gave it up for a long time, started playing again when I became a professional, then stopped when I had kids because I didn't have time. And then uh, my son, who's a phenomenal musician, who's now 16, has been playing guitar since he was four, kind of motivated me to get into it. 
So started playing again, invited some friends to come over, and now we have a middle-aged men band. We literally call it MAM, M-A-M, <laughs> middle-aged Love men. Um, That's and, great. And we would just get together once a week and play, and um, it was fun. And then it turned into us doing a performance in front of, I don't know, 20, 25 people. We did a little outdoor concert in Dartmouth, not far from Bishop Stang. So let me ask you, um, so your son, so Jack, Jack is 16 now. He started when he was four. When did you start playing drums? I started playing drums probably seven, eight, nine. You remember that? You remember? I remember I was young. Yeah. And I remember I tried to play the guitar, but it hurt my fingers. I tried to play the keyboard, but there were too many things, too many keys on the piano. And then I used to bang on pots and pans. So we I went to the drums and I'm, I don't have, I'm kind of tone deaf, but I have rhythm. So I realized, oh, I can slap drums and hit things and in an organized fashion. So that fashion was a more song. natural fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you stopped doing it and did it again. So is it something that's second nature? You feel like it's, it's ingrained it. in you now? Like yeah, you yeah. can pick it up at any time? And yeah, yeah. And when I, when the times I have, my wife, who's very supportive, Carla's like, you're kind of a better person when you play drums. Like you're just, you're more relaxed. Yeah, Carla. Yeah, she's like, you need to, because she's very creative and artsy and a lot of hers comes out in her cooking in her smoothies and all that kind of stuff. And I never had that outlet. So getting back to drums kind of fed that side of my brain and it's good. So when you fall away from these things, what, it, what is, what is pulling your attention away when you work, work? Yeah, always. Mm. So what do you do? So let's, let's start with, um, what's your background and what do you do now? Okay. I became a physical therapist in 1999. Went to, well, before that I went to school for exercise science at university of Rhode Island um, graduated, worked for a year in the exercise kind of post-rehab world. I ran a program for people coming out of uh, physical therapy and going into um, fitness and kind of was that transition. I uh, applied to PT school, got in, went to UMass for PT. Uh, that's where I met Carla, my wife. UMass Lowell? UMass Lowell, yep. I um, graduated in, I think, 98, like the fall of 98. And then my wife and I took the test got engaged the day we took our board exam, big day, um, became therapist, and we started working in um, different companies. And Wait, how did you propose to Carla? Oh, man, this is crazy. It's not really that crazy. I had no plan. I, we showed, we, I knew we'd taken the board exam, and I knew it was December 17th, and I knew we were just going to go out and celebrate after. So I put an engagement ring in my pocket, took my board exam with an engagement ring in my pocket, Anyone listening? Pressure. Talk yeah. about pressure. Yeah. Anyone listening? Don't do that. Because <laughs> the whole time I'm trying to answer questions, thinking about, holy shit, I'm going to get married. Like, <laughs> this is crazy. And I swear I'm sorry. Of I course. Did. Yeah. All you right, can say whatever right. you want. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, test was done. We went out, had dinner, had a, a glass of wine. We were just doing our thing. And um, I didn't know what we were going to do. And then we ended up at La Salette Shrine. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, yes. La, the lights. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was right before Christmas. We went to see the lights. This is a really deep story. Do you want to hear it? Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we're walking around and I'm like so nervous. She has no clue. And uh, we go in to see this. They have all these different like nativity scenes or something. So for those of you who don't know, it's a it's like a, a Catholic. There's a church there. It's really religious, but it's beautiful. It's lit up. So people from all religions go just to enjoy the lights. So we go in and this guy comes up to us and he was talking to Carl and he was so complimentary. He was like, wow, look at your eyes. They're so beautiful. Look at you. You're like an angel, this and that. And it, was, it wasn't in a creepy way. So he walked, he like, he was talking to us for about five minutes and he looked at me. Again, I don't know this guy. He goes, what are you waiting for? 
Because first he asked if we were brother and sister. He said, there's some sort of connection with you guys. I get it. Then he looked at me and goes, when he found out we were boyfriend and girlfriend, he's like, what are you waiting for? He's like, you better snatch this girl up. And he literally said, what are you waiting for? An angel with a golden hammer to hit you on the head? So Carla had no clue again. So then we left there and there's people everywhere. So I didn't know. I'm like, I don't want to do this with everyone around. And we went to this one section and literally it got empty. No one was around. It was like, I remember there was like all these white angels and I just knelt down and asked her, and I said, no, the guy said he waiting for it. <laughs> Man, it's good. Um, an angel with a golden hammer hit me on the head. I said, I think he was my angel. And I proposed to her. So it was, it was awesome. And then we went back, and he was like, like doing backflips. And he was like, I knew there was something about you too. I knew there was something here. So yeah, that's how it happened. You and Carla, have you guys always... S- been that not spiritual but in a way of like well you see a sign you see the writing on the wall yeah or do you guys need to see the proof because you're both coming from a very a very concrete scientific background in sports yeah i don't want to talk for her but yeah she's a very spiritual person i was brought up you know as a guilt-ridden portuguese catholic you know you and i went to catholic school so i've got my opinions on the Catholic Church as a business and as an organization. So yes, we're spiritual, and through my wife, I've become much more open-minded and more spiritual and not just religious. So I wouldn't consider us like active-practicing Catholics at all, but we're, I think we're more connected and more spiritual than we've ever been, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, yeah. So, and that's all through her influence. And like we kind of hinted before, what took me away from music? Work. What took me away from spirituality? Work. Yeah. So it's a much better balance now that I'm 46. All right. Wow. That right. was a great, uh, this is, this is so good. All right. So, I never, sorry, so, th- so continue with the story. All right. So, so became physical therapist. There it is. Um, and then we moved to Rhode Island, bought our first house. I got a job working at a company in Rhode Island. Um, one of the jobs I turned down, um, just for whatever reason, I forget. I told him, I said, listen, I, I can't accept the job, but I have someone for you who you're going to love and you're going to hire. And they said, who's that? I said, my wife. I'm like, we're moving. She needs a job. So they did an interview and they hired her. So we both worked in Cranston, Rhode Island. Um, and at that point, I started working. And I was really discouraged with physical therapy and um, realized I was working with a population that I wasn't really thrilled about. I was working at a clinic that saw mostly motor vehicle accidents and workers' compensation cases. So everyone had a lawyer involved. Some of those people really did need help, and I was glad to help them. And a lot of them, um, I hate even saying this, but just wanted to make their case and not want to go back to work. So I was doing my best, and they weren't participating. So very unmotivated. So you're going through the motions, but you're fighting that inner battle of, like, I'm not really aligned. This isn't where I see myself, but... But you could do the work because you, you understood there was... I was getting a paycheck. A paycheck, right. I, I, I was getting a paycheck. I was doing what I was paid to do. Um, but I was so not fulfilled at all. And that right around that time, we got pregnant. So, um, you know, we knew Carla was going to back off from her job. And she was doing great. She was killing it at her job. And I said, um, you know what? I can't do this anymore. So I actually was going to leave the world of physical therapy. I got offered a job at Medtronic, the biggest medical device company in the world, one of the biggest, and um, was seconds away from accepting that until Carl and I sat there and talked and we realized 
I love what I do. I just don't like where I'm doing it and who I'm doing it with. So it was then when we decided to start um, our own business and attract the clients we wanted to attract. So you remember Field of Dreams? Yes. Movie? yes. If you build it, they yep. will come? Yep. That was literally our mantra. So how, <laughs> how did that conversation go? When you, when you were going to take that job, you were moments away, and you're taking this job because of money. Totally. Well, because because I was unhappy, and I just needed to do something different. So this wasn't necessarily the end stop. This was just something different. It was different. It could have been. I don't know. At that point, I was just so discouraged thinking, I spent all these years in school, all this money. You know, Carl and I paid for our education on our own. It was a lot of money. I'm like, what? And I'm miserable. I'm like, did I make the wrong choice? Did I make the, what, what's going on? So Carl and I literally pulled an all-nighter. Um, and thankfully, the guy who... I interviewed with was an asshole and he turned me off and that kind of helped solidify the decision. He was a typical like New York salesy kind of guy. Um, and he literally gave me, called me 10 o'clock at night. Oh, you got the job. We're going to send you two tickets to Minneapolis, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You would go work. You were going to work in Minneapolis? I did be trained. Oh, I think Minnesota, somewhere out there, Midwest. And I said, listen, I forget his name. We'll call him Joe. I said, Joe, listen, I'm honored. Thank you. But as you know, this is a huge life change for me. We're about to have a child. I said, I got to think about this. It was Thursday night. I said, can I call you on Monday? Um, and he literally, I'm going to I'm gonna swear again. He yeah. literally, on the phone, this is a guy who's going to be my future boss, boss, said, are you a fucking idiot? Do you know what I'm offering you? And I was like, whoa, I'm not a fucking idiot. I do know what you're offering me, but I need time to think about it. And he said, I'm calling you at 7 a.m., have an answer. <clears throat> Hung up the phone. And it was a lot of money. It was a very lucrative job. Which so, makes the decision extremely challenging yeah. for someone, right, who's in that space. You're still in that space of, like, finding what you love. Exactly. And, and doing it for the sake of loving it and not so much for the money. The money will come. Yeah. Versus I need money, like I'm having a family, all the real world Thoughts that enter yeah. flood into your mind, exactly. right? Yeah. Elevating yeah. the stress, probably elevating the stress in Carla too. Oh, absolutely. But she was so good about it. And there she is pregnant at the time, right? So we sat like almost all night just talking back and forth. Do you remember that? Oh, that God, yeah. Night? Yeah. Yeah. Remember my, uh, my house in Cranston? Remember that little yes. ranch we had? Yeah. Behind. Behind the, Galler, uh, the Garden City yes. shopping area. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love that little place. So I remember sitting in the kitchen there and in the living room and then we just walked around the house and we were talking, talking, talking. And then uh, that's when she said, go for it. Let's just do this. And I called him back the next morning and the guy was not happy and dropped more F-bombs on the phone. Um, and I was like, all right, I feel good about this. And then I, So when my son was born, May of 2003, get a load of this. My son was born, my first child. I turned 30. I quit my job and went fully on my own to start a business all in the same month. And I looked at Carl and said, if I don't grow up now, it ain't never happening. <laughs> <laughs> and I still haven't grown up, but... You know, <laughs> right. So, We're never going to grow up. No, no. But, but it was, thank, I mean, thank God she's been... Where I am today and where the business is would not be there without Carla. No one knows that because I'm the face and the name behind it. Some people that know as well enough know it, but yeah. So, so I can tell you from being across the country, like the what I see is Foundation Performance and Mike. Yeah, exactly. Um, until now, because now you've got a social media presence, and now <laughs> I see it all. 
Um, but so in that decision process, when you quit your job and you're deciding to go all in, yeah, all in. So you wake up the next day, you turn down the job. What's like flooding through your awareness? So I had started doing some um, like part-time personal training um, exercise consultations while I was still working for the other company. And I was starting to cut hours because I knew something had to change. Um, and boss, the guy I worked for, he was great. He knew I wasn't going to be there forever. He knew I had other plans. And as long as I was honest and didn't steal his patience, he was fine with it. So I had a small office. Um, it started in the basement of my house in Cranston. I had, that's people would come to me and I did consultations in there because we refinished it. And then I would drive all over New England. I would be in Narragansett, Rhode Island, to Foxborough, to Mansfield, to Providence, seeing clients. Working at different gyms? Gyms and houses. And houses, okay. Yeah. I've got thrown out of three different gyms in New England. Yeah, because don't you need, like, <laughs> if you're going to train somebody, you yeah. technically, I mean, we run up against this in swimming pools. Like, exactly. if you're technically going to guide someone, like, coach someone, you need to yeah. get sort of... There's right. a liability thing. There's yeah. a monetary thing right. going on. But yeah, I so got, you got th- kicked out of three places. I got thrown out of three gyms <laughs> and a university in my career. <laughs> yeah, funny stories. Um, so yeah, I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? But I had it like the building block set a little bit. So it was a little bit easier of a transition. And then it was all self-pay and I was just doing more in the exercise side. I wasn't doing much hands-on physical therapy. And then it started to grow. I was turning away business and sending all the people who wanted like insurance-based physical therapy to a, a guy I knew who had his own physical therapy clinic. And then Carl was like, what are you doing? Like, we're doing okay, but you're turning away so much money. It's like, just start taking insurance. Why wouldn't you do insurance? Because this is, this is something where maybe it's just your hard line where you're like, I just don't want to do insurance. I, I was doing it back when I was working the workers' comp. And yes. So some I had old, like stirring up some old things. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's just, I didn't want to go down that road and start getting the workers' comp and the motor vehicle accident and, and start working with population that I wasn't fulfilled and didn't kind of fill my cup as a professional, for lack of a better way of describing it. So I was a little hesitant and just the administrative burden that comes with it. But Carla's like, let's do it. So we did. And then Carla would do like, she was doing the billing from home. So she was kind of like the administrative person. And then I started getting really busy. So I needed to hire a therapist. Started getting really busy. Hired a front desk person. Started getting really busy. I hired a trainer to do the personal training because I now I was needed to do more of the therapy. And what started off as me in my basement in Cranston now is 19, 20 employees, three different offices, big it's a whole different animal now which is great what we've always stayed true to what who we wanted to work with and didn't we don't chase money i could be making a lot more money as a business owner and as a practice by seeing certain populations that don't fulfill us so i go to bed at night i can sleep because i worked with motivated clients we do right by our people we keep active people active we keep healthy people healthy it's just a really and i've had um Therapists who work for me over the years say, I don't know what you've done, but you have the best patients in the world. What is your ideal patient? What's your, what's your audience that you feel most aligned with? So me personally, as you know, I'm in the, the kind of distance running world. And so I fell into that and that I love it. I love everything about it. And I just, um, I've thrived in it and it fills my cup. And I just happen to thankfully do well in that field. But as a business, people who are motivated, they know they're, they're either suffering with injury or pain, and we can help get rid of the pain. They're suffering because they can't reach their f- health and fitness goals for some reason. So what what started as a, str- uh, a typical, oh, you get hurt, we'll bill your insurance, you come, and we're going to 
get rid of your pain and then we'll send you back. So now um, we do everything from Carla is a wellness um, and nutrition coach, so she does some of that. I do tons of preventative work. With my runners, I'm doing slow motion video analysis and um, getting them on programs before they get hurt. So now people are coming to us because they know we can help them um, meet their overall just health, fitness, and wellness goals. So we are just flooded with motivated, positive people in our offices of, of, all, of all ages. Some are self-pay, some are insurance, and some are may be workers' comp, or they may have been in a motor vehicle accident. But the people who refer to us know what we do and what we do well, and that's the type of clients we're getting. Can you see your how strong the mind is attached to the past? So when you heard Carla say, let's take insurance, your mind is attached to the experience that you had all negative. working with them. Yeah. yeah, all negative. When yeah. Carla's, she's like Jess, like that voice of like challenge to just oh, yeah. explore it a little bit more. It may not be the solution, but it could be an opportunity or it could not, but you need to go explore that. And it sounds like that's, that's what's happened. Oh, good. And, yeah. And for the athletes that, that you see, where's the gap between giving them what they need to do and the actual execution? Yeah, we have extremely motivated clients. They're motivated for their 10K, their marathon, their triathlons, these end, the end goals, as you say. Um, and they will run through a wall to get rid of their pain so they can keep training. If I told them, literally, like, run through that wall and sing Jingle Bells while you're doing it, they would do it. And then as soon as the pain goes away and they're back training, they kind of fall off of it, right? Sound familiar to you? Yeah, everything's good. Yeah, everything's good. I don't need to. And that's when, so 15 years ago when I started working this population, that's when I developed my Run Strong program. People don't have the time, they don't, they're not, maybe they don't have the mindset of this self-care and all this, all this auxiliary training that they need to do to keep them healthy, right? Some do because they battled injury and they really see it. The ones that don't are like, well, I'm doing well, I'm fine, I'm just going to put in more miles, I don't need to warm up, I don't need to foam roll, I don't need to do this until pain comes back again. So I developed a Run Strong program and we would have, when I started, we had two classes that ran twice a week. So an hour class back to back. So four classes total. And we had them sold out. I would see 20 people a class. So 40 people a night twice a week. And basically what we did is we foam rolled. We taught them how to foam roll so they can continue to do it at home. We taught them proper ways to do dynamic warm up. More of not like running drills like A skips and B skips, but more of, um, you know, preparation to even do their running Activation. Yeah, like wake up what we need to wake up, open up what we need to open up. And then we did strengthening because historically endurance athletes don't spend time strengthening. Well, they're caught up in the number. Yeah, and then back then, now I think with the shift, I mean, fitness is all over the place in a good and bad way sometimes. But back then, people thought strength training was weight training. And they think of bodybuilders, you know? And like, no. So it took me a while to convince people. And even some of the females who were so concerned about putting on well, I, I gain muscle too fast. I don't want to put on any weight. And I would tell them, one pound of muscle, even though, yeah, you may be one pound heavier, is so functional. You're going to be such a better athlete at that one pound. But the, the type of strength, strength training we were doing was not, we're not building hypertrophy. We're not putting on weight on people. So just getting to see that. So anyway, so that's what we did. That's how the, the Run Strong program came out. And it's evolved over the years, which we can talk about maybe with some of the other questions. But so what is Run Strong? Just give them, a, give them a brief. It started off just as that class. And then I did that for years and I got, I got burnt out. So I was treating about 80 to 100 patients a week. 
doing physical therapy. I'm consult. I was doing like lots of free public public talks. <laughs> Hold on, my dad's my dad's making some cocktails over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another water. Oh, Thank you, you sir. Waters. The G's are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it started just as the class, and then I would do like I would go out and I would uh, talk at some small local running clinics or for running groups, and I would teach them about injury prevention. Um, and then I stopped doing the class because I got burnt. And then I had kept having requests to bring the class back. So then I trained um, some therapists who worked for me um, to do the class. So now we have two people in my Plainville office. I can run the class. I'm going to be training two in my Pawtucket office. Um, so we're going to bring, We over the past few years, we've been bringing the class back. So there's that part of it. But also what kind of grew out of this is I started doing more public speaking. And my Run Strong as a whole philosophy became more of a philosophy than just a class. Because now, and as I evolved as a therapist, it's not about foot strikes and arm swings and cadence. It's about, are you well-rested? Are you hydrated? How's your nutrition? How's your stress levels? Are you doing your stretching? Are you doing your mobility work? Are you doing your strengthening? So it turned into this whole runner's health type of program. So then what uh, we, we did through um, a local running store, Roadrunner, R-H-O-D-E Runner, give them a little plug here, best running store around in Providence. Um, we started doing these one night, um, I think we called it Run Strong One Night Learning and Doing Clinic, something like that. It would be a three-hour night, and we would sell out 60, 70 people. They would clear the store, move all the shelves out of the way, and I would do an hour-and-a-half lecture about runner's health and then put them all through a Run Strong class, like the traditional class we did. And everyone came home, went home with like, a goodie bag of swag and self-care devices, foam rollers, lacrosse balls, mini bands. And then they also had the handout of all the exercises we did so they knew how to do this at home and we talked about how to progress it. So that's kind of how Run Strong has evolved. And now over the years, I've had the fortunate opportunity of doing a lot of, um, I hate calling it lecturing because that sounds boring, presenting, lecturing, um, or speaking in front of large groups. Yeah, you did Wazelle's camp. Yeah, the biggest one, which was still one of the funnest events I've ever did, is the the running event. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's the biggest running shoe industry event in the country, if not the world, I believe. And if I'm wrong, no one shoot me. But it was really big. <laughs> Where is it? So it was in Austin, Texas at the time. I think it's now down in Florida. Um, I forgot what year this was, but it was right when I started working with Molly Huddle and um, Saucony, who's her sponsor. I went to their world headquarters, which is in Massachusetts, and we did all this work on their... Um, they've got like a million dollar 3D analysis motion lab. So I was really trying to help Molly out, getting her balanced, getting um, improving her strength and conditioning work. And they helped me do that. Um, and through that connection with Saucony, they asked me if I would go to this event. They put a panel as myself and a guy named Jay Deshari. He's out in Bend, Oregon. He's a genius. Love this guy. Another Big plug. running community out there in Oregon. Yeah. And, and Jay's, if you guys... He's written two books for runners, um, for the not for the coach, but for the layman, and they're great. And Jay's a good guy, um, so anyone listening, look him up. But anyway, it was the head biomechanical engineer for Saucony, Jay and myself, and we all had three different approaches to talk about running to, he's like, there were some coaches, lots of running store professionals, and I came in and talked about collaboration and how the healthcare world and the running stores could collaborate together um, and how we can really get to runners before they get hurt and teaching them how to 
educate their runners and when to refer out and how to build networks and what to look for in a physical therapist. And it was great. So we, I think the audience was about 1,000, 1,200 people, which was the biggest I've ever presented at that point. Um, then I've been to, invited to a couple different coaches clinics in, throughout the country um, and then did the Wazell camp. So there was, I forget how many, 100, 200 and something um, female runners. And I did the same type of thing. I did a lecture, um, kind of a runner's health injury prevention type of lecture. Then we did a, a run strong class. And then I stayed on, I was there for two days. And I think I saw 38 women for one-on-one consultations in two days. I think Liz, one of our yeah, athletes, that's where I met her. Is a yeah, um, member um, who she just raves about you and Michelle oh, in um, yeah in Plainville, Plainville. Yeah, yeah. yeah we just put, I, we just I just saw her up there when we were taking oh, pictures right. yeah, for the she social sent media. A photo, yeah, yeah. She's awesome. Uh, but yeah, but in Wazell was great, and it was just literally Liz, who's amazing. It was like two, three hundred people like Liz who were just there because they love running, want to get healthier, positive. It was awesome. This is what baffles me a little bit. Like you're giving out all this information to runners mm-hmm. and you're explaining to them how, the benefits of doing all this stuff and here's the exercises you do and you, they walk away with this, the keys to the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. This is it. This is all you need to do. Yep. But again, I don't think all the people are understanding that this information no. needs to be adhered to and to make into your, bring it into your lifestyle, right? Very, make it part of your life. They you know, you know what? It's not sexy. And, you know, to build this foundation of a, like a good runner's health and performance program, like, so to get someone in the mindset that this is what needs to be there first, and then you can worry about what kind of 5K program is going to look like or what coaching philosophy you should follow. Um, it's not sexy, and I call it the no thank you stuff. Like, it's not fun. It takes time. But the ones who stick with it, I have... Dozens of testimonials from people who say, my running's easier. I'm running faster. I am not in as much pain. I don't get hurt as much. We're actually running a, with a really big school, anywhere between 180 and 200 kids on their cross-country team every season. Big school. The coach is so motivated. We screened all his kids, basically implemented a run-strong type of program that he's, and this guy's a spreadsheet master, and he literally has stats, and we're going to do it again this year, of how much better his team is doing in the fewer injuries that he's seeing just by implementing the program. So you're getting your own research study done, yeah. basically. And this, guy, and this is high school? Kids, high school, yeah. Cross country? Cross country, track and field, but all distance. What does um, the initial assessment look like for, so, for kids? Well, or I guess for anyone, right? Yeah, so for, again, what I did is I'm trying to train coaches on how to do a quick assessment on 200 kids, right? What, the way this team organized it is they had three coaches total. So I went in and spent two and a half, three hours training them on how to do these tests. It's everything from, you know, can they do a single leg squat to a chair? You know, um, a dorsiflexion test for their ankle to check out their ankle mobility. Um, A side plank in a starfish position to see if they have any abductor or glute medius strength. Um, What else do we have in there? Um, A thing called a Thomas test to see how tight their anterior hips are. So and what we did is we organized it. We gave them three grades and we scored it. Um, And there was a mobility subscore and a strength subscore. And he organized his team according to how they tested. And we literally put this team in, he had three different workouts that we organized. Like to get, not many coaches would do this. This is rare. So the kids were put in like group one because they were super weak or group two because they need to work on mobility. 
Um, it was awesome. And then all these kids got not a custom program, but pretty customized to what their needs were. And then he retested. Everything that we tested got better except for one. And let's see if you can figure this out. So we tested at the beginning of the summer. What are kids doing all summer? Going to the beach, yeah. working. They're really, active, right? Yeah. What are they doing in school all, all day long? Sitting. Yeah. So the only test that did not get better is their Thomas test, which shows the mobility of the anterior hip, hip flexors, quads, and hip capsule because they're sitting so much. So at the end of the season, yeah, they logged in more miles, which would tighten that, but because they're sitting in class for six and a half hours a day, most of the Thomas tests um, decreased. And that just goes to show you that sitting is Reinforcing the sitting (laughs) habit. And I think it it was after seeing you and rehabbing my injury that I then walked into the office and started standing. It was, I think, I literally think it was the next day that it was like, I'm done with this. What I can say is standing offers up other opportunities because then you notice that you're not standing straight. You start yeah. to slouch on one leg and then one knee's bent and leaning on the. But head. I always like to look at opportunities, right? So now it's showing you, okay, well, I always lean. I always lean to my right leg, and then when you're home in the kitchen or you're brushing your teeth, you notice that you're on that right leg, and so yeah. then you can begin to change things. So yeah, we should just get rid of all these desks. It's you know sitting. It's really detrimental, especially in when I talk to people in my yoga classes. Like they'll do the yoga. And they run and they train either in the morning or at night. And then all day they're just the sitting. sitting. Yeah. And I, I talk about that all the time because people will come in and they're... So we're, my Pawtucket office is basically right in Providence. And we have a lot of people in that area that commute to Boston. So they're either on the train or driving in traffic. Most likely it's about a two-hour commute there. And let's just say they're a lawyer. Two-hour commute into Boston, sitting all day at meetings on the computer, two-hour commute back. So they come in and they've got low back pain because they have... Uh, let's say, an overly tight psoas muscle in the front, hip flexor. Anyone who sits, it's tight. And anyone who runs a lot, it's tight. So if you sit for a living and you run, it's going to be doubly tight. So when people say, my lower back hurts, man, it's oh, got to yeah. be my lower back, it's got to be my lower back. Yeah, 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 no. I, if you gave me one muscle to work on, for every low back patient that I see for the rest of my career, it would be the psoas. In, back in the 90s, it was the hamstrings. Back in the 90s, when I became a physical therapist... I thought like tight hamstrings was the, was the third leading cause of death in the country. Like everyone had tight hamstrings. Everyone needs to stretch their hamstrings. It's bullshit. It's not. You don't need to stretch your, your hamstrings, right? No. It's almost yeah. But, some but some this... do, but no, it's not about that. So this is so as. But so let's let's picture this guy, Mr. Lawyer. So if you add up fourteen hours a day sitting, five days a week, what's that? Seventy hours of sitting a week, right? I can show him the best hip flexor stretch in the world, and he can come to see me for a 30-minute session every week. Am I going to make a huge difference? I would hope to, but he's sitting. See what I'm saying? So, so I, I use a phrase, let's take away a negative before adding a positive. So adding a positive is, yeah, let's get you stretching that hip flexor. But what if we took away all the sitting? What if you just stood 50% of the time? And standing has its own inherent problems if you're on your feet all the time. So I try to get someone like that to stand, if we can get at them 60% of their day standing and then 40% of their workday sitting, we see a huge difference. And then they sprinkle in this little hip, fle- hip flexor stretch that you can do in a suit or a business skirt. You can do it right at your desk. What's, what's the stretch? I'm curious. So it's, it's like a, four or? so you're on one knee. Yeah. So you you're get, on one knee. Yeah. So if you picture, so if I'm on, oh, I can't really do it. No one can see me, but if I'm <laughs> kneeling down on my right knee, my left foot's out in front, almost like a proposal position. Okay. Like pretending you're going to propose to someone and then you get nice and tall. You do a little bit of a posterior pelvic tilt 
to open up the front of the hip joint and it's going to stretch that psoas out. So if you do that, there's a, a phenomenon in the body called creep. If you're in one position for more than 20 or 30 minutes, you can make microscopic permanent changes in the collagen, the muscles, the tendons, that type of thing. It takes years before those microscopic changes become macroscopic and you're aware of it, but it's, it can be permanent. So if you can jump down and get into that stretch once an hour, once every 30 minutes would be great. Now you can say, I have not been sitting for more than 20 or 30 minutes straight. Perfect. Now you won't let creep set in. You'll see a huge difference in your mobility after stopping that from happening. So yeah, work, add the positive, work on the hip flexor tightness, take away the negative of sitting so friggin' much, um, and then that's when we can see more be- better results. I, when I, I, just tri- said, I just said more better. <laughs> more better. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> but back to your point about, yeah, so the transition. This is a good thing because when I transitioned, it, it opened my eyes. Like I, I was starting to, to the standing desk gotcha. to, to be more mobile. I started drinking more water. So drinking more water in that transition from standing and sitting, because I did a little transition, was now you drink more water, now you got to go to the bathroom. So now you're getting up. You have to get up. You have to get up. So yeah. And you're also hydrating yourself, which yeah. is really good. It's perfect. So it's a win-win-win. Yeah. So and that's, a great, that's a great coaching tip, and that's what I've tried to do with some people. I literally tell them, just drink more, so because they forget to get up or they won't. The, yeah. So I'm like, drink a shit ton of water. You're going to have to get up. So, or get a smaller bladder, like, because <laughs> you'll have to get up. It's, it's a built-in timer. <laughs> yeah, the water water consumption. I don't know if you see it, but I see it so much to a point where when I give the run workouts, anything over forty-five minutes, really, it goes on every workout now. But in the pre-instruction notes, it's like drink twenty-four ounces of water at least an hour before you yeah get out there Smart. moving. It's going to help. It's going to help everything. It's going to help your muscles, your joints, but it's also yeah. going to help your blood flow. If you want your heart rate to be low, yeah, you need that. That we are seventy percent water, right? Or eighty percent. Right. But I think I'm not going to speak for everyone, but I was always like, oh, I don't want to be too full because I want my coffee. Like I want another coffee, right? right? Coffee addiction. There's water and coffee, right? <laughs> <laughs> so this this is really good. I think I think we touched upon some amazing stuff. Um, Do we go off on too many tangents? No, no. This I think I think we're. Can I, can I can I give your the listeners um, the Mike Silva hydration lesson? Go yeah, so, go for it. Absolutely. I, I'm I'm not a smart dude, so I try to keep things simple. Look at your urine when you pee. If it looks like apple juice, drink more water. If it looks like water, you're well hydrated. Done. Hydration 101. It, but it, I mean, you can get more technical with your athletes. You might have to get more technical. Like some people measure their weight loss before and after workouts and certain amount Sweat of ounces. Loss, yeah. But for the most part, for the masses that I, and if I'm talking to coaches, to how, how can they monitor what their kids drink? Like tell them to look at their pee. It's that simple. People listen to this podcast. They're, they're getting this almost in every episode. It's, it's really about taking ownership of your health and body awareness. And what we tend to do as a society is to blame it on things out of our control. We want to put the onus on other people when, if we just make the commitment, right? If we stand up to our belief system, we were talking about that earlier in the yeah, podcast. Yeah, but that means we need to take ownership. Right. That means we need to grow up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike and I, were never growing up. We're, nope. we're 46 now, and I don't think things have changed much. You look like you're 26 still. <laughs> um. I just want to backtrack a little bit okay. to when you were starting this business and going all in with Carla. What 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 was your biggest fear? What was the the biggest 
um, roadblock into. I can only pick one. Yeah. Yeah. No. Share. Yeah. If you had a few. Well, I mean, the biggest fear is for the first time in my life being one hundred percent responsible for the income and supporting my wife, my dog, and now my new little human, Jack, at the time. So that's scary. It's like, wait, what if? What if I don't succeed? What if I can't do this? What if? What if? What if? What if? So I can rattle off 20 different, what if this happens, what if that, what if that. And um, again, goes back to Carla, she, she lovingly calls these um, ass kickings, where she'll just sit me down and be like, sh- in a nice loving way, like, shut the hell up, like, just do this, you know you can do it, just like, she's, she was definitely the more positive, just go get it, don't worry. So she actually told me this term. Um, we might have learned it together, I forget, but usually she teaches me all the good stuff. Um, you know the phrase, ready, aim, fire? So she kind of got me to look at that different. And now, because of her, I do ready, fire, aim. So I just do it and I figure it out. And that was not me. I'm not wired that way. No. Oh, Mike, this is so good. Because I think <laughs> I'm the, I'm, I've, I have extreme hesitation and yeah. delay because I want to think it through and I yeah. want to methodically move forward. You and I are pretty similar like that. Yeah and, yeah, and we need that interruption, whatever it is. And uh, I don't know if you heard of Mel Robbins. She has this, she has this system where she counts down from five, four, three, two, one, because your mind has five seconds before it's going to enter and in, yep. like, inject its opinion in there. And so what she would do, she was struggling getting out of bed in the morning. Oh, I, you know what? You heard this? Uh, oh, through Carla. Carla taught me okay. this. Like, five, four, three, two, one, and just go. And just go. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, yeah. act. Yeah, yeah. She, she was watching. Na- she woke up, and the shuttle was was launching, and five, four, and it just hit her. Like, oh, my God. Can it be this easy? And I can't tell you how many times I've used that really over and over again just to, to get into that, you know, disrupt the process, yeah, yeah. disrupt yeah. that habit of, like, no, I think I need to stand next to the edge of the pool a little bit longer. Maybe my goggles need a little bit more adjusting. <laughs> delay, delay, delay. Now it's just show up at the pool, get in, get it done without attachment and get out of the pool. Like get the work done. And I yeah. think I think that's what you're speaking to. And it's certainly something that our significant others have helped us. Yes. Um, and isn't that why get we got married? <laughs> to get, get, get the hell out of our own way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's kind of like, um, I never read this book, but Carla told me about it as well. Um, Eat Your Frog. Have you seen this one? No. And it might be a little bit different, but it's basically like if you got something that's important but might not be the most joyful thing that you need to do, like if you had to eat a frog every day, wouldn't you want to just get it over with? Do it first. Do it first. So I could be totally butchering that book, and I'm sorry no, for the, the author. The general premise is, yeah, you do it first versus yeah. like put the frog, you know, fifth or sixth down the list. You just yeah, eat. And just... then you perseverate over it all day long. Oh, I don't want to eat that frog. I don't want to eat that frog. And then the rest of your day is you're not even present of what you're doing because you're worried about the frog so do you still have challenges like that do you still have doubt and fears that creep in on a daily basis but do you notice them now and able to shift more quickly like you don't sit in that um i can't say 100 percent of the time no but but you're more onto it yes i'm much more aware much more mindful in what's going on in my thought process um and if I'm not, I've got a reminder, Carla. Carla. Um, but yeah, no, so I'm, it's, I'm more aware I can kind of work through it a little bit better. I would say if stress starts to flood my body a little more for whatever reason, whether it's like, I don't know, maybe the revenue's down in the business or there's an employee issue or something, like then I just, I can see myself not thinking straight, um, but I can't get out of it. And that's when... 
You got Carla to help me smack me back to reality. If Carla's not there, do you have a do you have any sort of mindfulness practice? Anything where you take a breath? Yes, I um, I over the past few years have been working much more on my meditation practice. What does it look um, like? What does it look like? Um, I like to do it either first thing in the morning or at the end of the day. Um, and depending on what my schedule's like, I wish I could keep it consistent. I probably could, to be honest with you. You can. I know. Thank I you. I think you're realizing as you yep. were saying as that, I'm saying, I I'm see like, your shit. face. Like, <laughs> yes, I can be more consistent. I can definitely be more consistent in time-wise, but it's just it's five to ten minutes of a meditation. I used um, guided meditation for the most part um, through Headspace, the app, and then now I don't need the guidance all the time. Um, sometimes if I know I'm having difficulty sleeping, I'll do it. Um, they have a sleepy time meditation meant to put you to sleep, and I'll do that at night. Does Carla have a practice? Oh, yeah. And we were doing it together for a while, but then we realized, and it kind of sucks as a married couple when your schedules are opposite. Like, I got to get up and out, get to work sometimes. Um, so I'll be up and out 5.30. And then during the school year, she's around to get the kids off to school. And then when she's got to get up and out, I'll be around. So when you get kids in the mix, it kind of messes with it a little bit more. Uh, but my kids are becoming older and more independent where we don't have to be there quite as often. So hopefully we'll get our, our groove on and start doing maybe our sessions um, together again. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought up Jack and, and Morgan. You living in this life of entrepreneurship and being extremely successful and working with your partner and possibly taking stress home at times and having conversations regularly, regularly. <laughs> How how have the kids how have the kids reacted and and do you, do you think the mindfulness practice that you you and Carla have has allowed you to sort of maybe slow down and explain things to kids a little bit more or I think it's, it's get ahead of it yeah I think it's gotten better uh, but there were times um, where work was ninety percent of our day and our kids would make comments like can you guys not talk about work and it's so hard. And when, um, as you know, we had the small group training gym that Carla opened. So we had a, an office in Warren, Rhode Island, and then we had the small group training gym in the same place. And for five years, she worked so hard. Um, and, you know, she was doing small group classes. She was doing transition programs, wellness coaching. She was bringing in the, the Vitamix and doing smoothie lessons. She was doing everything. and It was awesome. But it was time consuming. Um, and then I was trying to do the run the three physical therapy offices. She was trying to build that business. And it was just nonstop for five years, business, 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 business. And I know, you know, I don't know, maybe we screwed our kids up and they're never going to be entrepreneurs. I don't know. Hopefully they see um, more of the successful parts of our career. But yeah, it, it's been, there's been challenges. Um, I think we've overcome them and we're at a much better place now. Um, but what has happened is, you know, when Carla started that, I backed off a little bit and was more of the stay-at-home dad, and she was trying to build that. And then now as the physical therapy practice is growing and I'm working on this other course, Carla's kind of backed off a little bit. So it's just like the seesaw. Um, and thankfully, she finds so much joy and value in taking care of the family. You know, I don't have too many friends who come home to a very healthy, organic, freshly cooked meal on a regular basis like I do. You I've know. experienced a few of those meals. I think I sort of lived at your place at some point or another in the past few well, years. When you home, yeah. Days, yeah. So, you know, and she finds so much 
joy in that and it's important to her. So she is like the the CHO, the chief health officer of our family. And now that she's around, that. yeah. So she's, um, I hope I'm not speaking for her in the wrong way, but you know, that, that that's a big part of her role. Um, and she loves it. And now her, her career has transitioned to, she does all self-pay physical therapy. She's not involved with insurance companies at all, um, which is a huge stress relief. And she does a lot of wellness um, and nutrition coaching along with her physical therapy. But it's all on a self-pay basis. She sees a few clients a week, so it keeps her um, keeps her professional cup filled. And then she's able to kind of take care of the kids. And, you know, cause even though we have teenagers, well, a teen in a, uh, in between tween, tween. Um, they require a lot, you know, we got to be around. So it's still, we're still balancing parenting, marriage and business. <laughs> yeah. It's intense. It, it's, it gets, diz- it can be intense. Oh yeah. No, it can. It's dizzying at times. So I want to talk too about your fitness. You were very active in high school, football in high school, basketball in high school for a little bit, then track. Um, weightlifting, yeah. track. You would push yourself to a point of puking. Vomit. Every every race I did over 300 meters. Now, was that strictly because that's all you knew or because you were, this is just the way. You, Honestly? Yeah. It was strictly because I was not that fast. So I couldn't pace myself. I just had to go balls to the wall every time. I mean, I was pretty good at it, but it's just, and part of it was nerves. I'd get so worked up before a race. So then I would just go at it literally 110% every race and then combination of the nerves and the strain I would throw up. I remember going to state meets like up in Boston, like at Harvard or uh, some of the bigger tracks out there. And my teammates would have to grab a trash barrel and meet me at the finish line. Because <laughs> when our local meets, I knew where the barrel was and you could just finish and walk off with a big meet. You have to sit there at the finish line and wait till they read your number and make sure who you are. And I would be like holding in my vomit and they would bring a barrel up and I would just puke. Were you, what did you eat before? Do you even remember what you ate before no. I tracked me? I Probably mean, McDonald's. To, McDonald's is what I was totally <laughs> yeah. going to say. You know, yeah. I, I don't remember. I just know we didn't know anything about nutrition. No, no. Yeah. So you would push yourself really hard in these in these meets, and you did track. Did you do track all four years? Yes, yeah, so I did um, spring track all four years. Um, I did basketball freshman and sophomore year, and then um, I realized I was a better runner than I was a basketball player because I had to compete with guys like you, who, if you guys don't know, BJ was a stud <laughs> basketball player. Um, but no, so I, I remember trying out junior year. I, I wanted to prove that I could make the team, and I made the team. I remember this. Yeah, and then I quit. And, and then you quit. Yeah, yeah. Telly wasn't happy with me. Yeah. Sorry, Al. But um, and then I just went into track. So for the next two years, so my junior senior year was football, track, track, football, track, track. Those are the three seasons. Did you do anything in college? You know, you come out of high school, you think you could right. go pro, right? So I tried to walk on to I was gonna play football at Springfield College. I um, talked to the coach, but I didn't get into the PT program, so I was a little discouraged. So I said, screw that, I'm not going. And I still to this day don't know why I ended up at URI. Because I, w- I went to URI as a pharmacy major, and I hate chemistry. Yeah, yeah. So I tried to walk onto the team. I brought my VCR tape, my highlight tape that I made. And the football coach was very respectful of my time. He's like, yeah, you know, looks like you're a pretty good high school player. He's like, why don't you come watch practice? We're going live, which means full contact today. Um, and let me know what you think after practice. So URI didn't have a great team, but they were D1. Like, this is legit. So I go out and wa- watch practice. And I was horrified at how big and fast and just bone crushing these guys were. And I'm like, man. 
And I had already suffered probably three concussions at that point. And I came back, I shook the coach's hand. I said, thank you for what you did. Good luck with the season. And then I went and talked to the track coach because of course I can't give up. Gave him my times I had in high school. He said, hey, you know what? Come out, work out with us. We'll see what happens. So I was on the track team for one year. I didn't even compete, but just worked out with the sprinters, um, met some great guys. And then I just realized, yeah, I was a good athlete for Bishop Stang High School. And I need to concentrate on my grades. And there's more to life than sports. What's your relationship with working out and, and fitness now for yourself, wrapping around how you grew up in this atmosphere of weightlifting and team sports, and now you've focused all that energy in building your business, and now you've got kids, and you know I've never seen you out of shape, so you've always been in shape. Well, thank you. That's nice to hear. Yeah, um, yeah but it's definitely changed. So it went from just getting big and strong and fast in high school. College was just getting big, curls for the girls. You know, I just wanted to look good with my shirt off, to be honest. It wasn't really more of a, it wasn't anything about performance or health at that point. You know, I'm drinking beer and living off cans of tuna and pasta. That was basically my whole diet. That's all I could afford, you know. Um, and then when I met Carla in graduate school, she was doing triathlons. So she did triathlons for 20 years. This endurance thing was new to me. Of course, being her boyfriend, I wanted to hang with her, so I would start to run. And then I realized I kind of like running and started doing road races and um, did one triathlon. And I was basically her road crew. I was more her support team. It wasn't about me. Um, but I started to enjoy running, and that's when I lost a lot of muscle because I wasn't spending much time in the gym, but I was feeling healthy. So that was that phase in like my late 20s, early 30s. Then mid-30s came, and I'm starting to feel not as limber and as lubricated as I used to be. And I have so many old injuries that I got to take care of. So fitness to me now is trying to stay mobile enough, strong enough, and fit enough to enjoy everything I want to do in life. I don't compete anymore. Because with me, kind of like the story about puking, if you start putting me in races, I'm just going to do make stupid decisions to try to get to a numeric. I want to make it... You know, I want to drop my 5K below 19 minutes. I want to do that. So, do you ever have thoughts like that, though? Do you ever have your because you work on all these runners? Do you ever think, like, I wonder what my 5K time could be all now at 46 if I did some training? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, and I don't know if it's a good thing, but you know, my body's not there's certain areas I just can't, I can't put in the miles like I used to. So, I live vicariously through my, my clients more than trying to do it myself. So, with me now, running is time I can spend with Carla. Running is time I can go just off by myself and um, clear my head. Running is a part of my overall fitness routine, um, but I've got mobility. Um, I do, I'm only doing strength training probably twice a week. I'm working on mobility two to three times a week, and I'm running two to three times a week. I'm on the bike. So it's a little bit of everything. So I think that's how you've been able to stay fit because I think for most people, it's all reverse. It's like running five days a week. Yeah. Maybe strength training once a week. Maybe if, mobility. If we're lucky. I, I, <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah. What I want to say here is I do feel momentum is shifting a bit so that mobility and strength training are now becoming more prominent in endurance athletes. Yes. Because a lot of our listeners are endurance athletes. Like they'll run 5Ks and 10Ks, but a lot of them are going long. They're going 50K. They're going 100 miles. They're going yeah. Ironman. They're going Ultraman. Yeah. Like long, long stuff. Well, look at you and Jess. You guys are combining yoga, so a mindfulness mobility type 
philosophy and practice with your triathlon training, which is awesome. So Jess was onto something like people were, she was the only person doing yoga and triathlon when we lived in Boulder. Really? Yeah. And the Boulder's so open-minded. I'm surprised. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why she created Yogi Triathlon. That's how it was first originally created. It's awesome. And I think you're right. I think there's, I mean, there's only so many times you can hear about something before you realize how important it is. Um, I mentioned before that the fitness world is all over the place and some of it's bad, but some of it's good. Like there's a lot of mobility programs and there's a lot of um, well-known people touting the importance of mobility. And, you know, there's a lot of people in the running world like myself who are constantly reminding people strength. Like you cannot be strong and resilient without working on strength. You, Especially as we age. God, yeah. I mean, we're 46, but I would have to say... I'm, I'm not going to speak for you, but I would say that we're in pretty good shape for being 46 years old, you and I. You know what? We are, and yet we're kind of totally different in in an athletic fitness realm, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're competing and still doing events that I could not do, even if I wanted to at this point. Um, I'm sure there's nothing I'm doing that you can't do. (laughs) <laughs> you know well that's debatable <laughs> well either way but, but yeah no stuff. and i think and i think um we both have a passion of being fit and healthy we both take our nutrition pretty seriously we both have active wives like we're, our careers now are surrounded by health and fitness yeah, isn't it funny like our both our careers now we're both basically coaches and yeah and, and slightly different aspects but yeah yeah exactly yeah it's good. and when you were doing um your marketing um, clear pixel design. Clear pixel design. <laughs> I think I still have the old business card with the blocks. Do you? Yeah, the blocks. The yeah. blue block. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I never. I never. Your journey's been awesome. Yeah. I, I never thought I would. I would be in this position, but I thought um, you were going to be doing marketing for the yachting center for the rest of your. I life. could have done. I could have been there. Right. I could have been there forever. I could be there now and just you know working for the paycheck and yeah. and getting it done. But it doesn't align with me. Like what aligns with me is being healthy and fit and mobile and. I want to circle back to that experience I had where I was attached to the sport of triathlon and injury came in and it took it so quickly from under me. Yeah. How, how did you handle that? Oh, I'm terribly gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be first. the interviewer now. Yeah. It so, was, t- so tell me about that, BJ. <laughs> I think people have heard this story. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, it was a terrible, terrible experience. I, I was distraught. You know, I was on painkillers, drinking wine, like disgruntled, not knowing what I'm going to do with my life if I can't train. I might even said it to you when I came to see you. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, what if I can't do triathlon? What is going to happen? I remember you came to my house. Yeah, uh, I came to, yeah. And when we're on Jenny's Lane, and I remember you having a conversation, and you were getting pretty, like, emotional emotional about it. Yeah, you're like, this is... The attachment was deep. Yeah, because who was BJ? He was a triathlete. Right. Yeah. And if I don't, if I can't get out there and do it, who am I? And... You and Carla just opened up your um, your home to me and your knowledge and your hearts to the recovery of my second coming in this sport because now I, I'm able to teach this to my athletes, like come full circle. I'm able to teach them the, the health and fitness. I'm able to teach them to take that proactive, um, uh, proactive approach to staying healthy. I'm able to help them not attach the end result, remove the watch, like who cares what the end time is? You're going to, whatever time it is, it's going to happen when the time is right. But if you truly love the sport, then you will succeed no matter what. So do you find as a coach, I know I don't want to fear off track here and ask you the questions, but, and I'll give you my opinion that 
all these wearables that we have, all these metrics that someone can have on a constant basis, more positive or more negative? I think it's the re- I think it's the athlete's relationship to it, yep. and if they have a strong tie to the data and information, because that's all it is, and data information is good as a as a one point in time to use um, as a guide. But if your relationship to that information is deep and and non negotiable, then it's, it's it's really something you need to explore, and there's an easy way to test it. Don't wear a watch for a week and go do all your workouts. Great. Right? Yeah. That's that's my take. I don't know what your approach has been. I, I think it's I think there's a I don't know, it's, it's I have a love-hate relationship with it because as a practitioner, you as a coach, we can get lots of good information. And if the athletes I'm working with keep a good log or they print up, we can track trends. Anytime you crest over 80 miles a week, that's when you start to break down maybe you cannot go over 80 miles a week. So having that information is okay, but when it guides or pushes them into decision-making that's not healthy... Then it becomes the dictator. Yeah, it, then I don't, I don't think it's great, um, depending on the athlete. Yeah. If they can see the benefit in you know, what it is and use it for what it is, um, then I think it's great. Do you help... Do you see athletes and do you help them uh, understand that relationship at times? I, I try. Like the door opens. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of times, depending on the person. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect phrase, like when the door opens. You know, cause sometimes I have to talk to people about their weight. You know, if you have a 240 pound marathoner with a torn meniscus, okay, sooner or later you need to talk about the extra weight on their body, right? Oh, yeah. This is good. <laughs> this is good. So that person yep. who's overweight and he wants that marathon time. Right, and he's got this meniscus. Something like zone two training is that something he should be dialing into, or should he work more on sessions, specific interval sessions, maybe on the treadmill or something, where he's getting that high turnover, feeling what it's like to get that motion, but still work on some endurance based training. So, in your experience, yeah, it's hard to answer that because I know everybody's unique. Everyone's unique, and um, I used the example of a meniscus tear. I mean, everyone is different. That's like a snowflake, you know? There's no, no two meniscus tears are the same. So I have some people, like, I'm, I'm pretty confident I've got a meniscus tear and I can manage it. When it does act up and I can get, feel the swelling in my knee, I listen to my body, I back off, I work on my mobility or I get on the bike more than doing some of the other weight-bearing things. Depending on the person, sometimes the most important thing is getting rid of the pain. So now we're getting more medical with it versus the coaching philosophy. Because what we do know in the science is that although you can push through the pain, because I talk about pain a lot, obviously, in my, in my world, and people say, well, I can take it. It's fine. Although you can push through the pain, your body will not function the same when in the presence of pain. You will alter the way you use your muscles. You will alter your biomechanics. It's not conscious. You can't control it. So these people who are running through pain are not doing any good for their body. Sooner or later, something else is going to break down. And even though they can tolerate it because they can, you know, mentally, yeah, they've got, I can, I can suck it up. I can suck it up. Well, the only time I have someone suck it up is when they've been training for a year and their event's coming up and come hell or high water, they're going to do it. All right. So let's talk about what we can do so you can suck it up and get through your event and then we'll put you back together after. But these people who are doing this on a regular basis and are popping Advil before every run just to get through their run... Oh God, like 
that's just a rabbit hole we, they don't want to go down. How bad is Advil for you on a consistent basis it's, like it, that? All right. So that could be a whole hour conversation, but here's... But yeah, give me the cliff notes. Okay. So Advil is an anti-inflammatory, correct? First stage of healing when you injure tissue is inflammation. So you need inflammation to heal. Okay. So you're basically taking this chemical and you're stopping your body's own natural process of healing, right? Yep. So that's a negative. The other thing Advil does is it um, kills the pain. So now you've got, you're stopping your healing process. You're masking the pain so you could go out and do an activity and load a tissue that is not healed and can't tolerate the load you're putting on it, right? It's like t- t- when you see the engine light in your car and just pulling the light bulb out so you don't see the engine light and keep driving. Oh, that's a good analogy. Right? Are you, did, did you solve anything? No. No, you just don't. You, you just don't see it. Yeah. It, it's or just, you don't you, feel it. You don't feel it. So there's a time and a place for anti-inflammatories. I'm not saying no one should take them. Um, but never, ever is it a good thing to take Advil or these medications before training runs or regularly just to get through your workouts. Again, going back to someone who, let's say they're doing a marathon for a fundraiser. Like I used to do a lot of work with the team in training for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Um, so this this person might have had a loved one who died from leukemia and is trying to raise money, and they raised $20,000 to do this, the Memphis Marathon, let's just say. Um, and three, typically... Three to four weeks before the event is when everyone, you know, the mileage is peaking. That's when everyone starts to break down. Um, so literally before all the big local marathons, about three weeks before, our phones get flooded because everyone's starting to, just about to taper, right? Um, but in that case, they're going to do this. They've got an emotional attachment to this. They're raising money. They've got people counting on them. They feel that stress and pressure. All right, why don't you take two Advil before Keep two in your pocket at the 13-mile mark if you're hurting. Bring it in. It's just one day of them masking it. And they and I tell them, yeah, you may damage the tissue more by doing this, but most of them don't care at this point because they're, they're using more emotions than reasoning. Um, so that's when I would say, okay, let's, let's get you through. We'll put you back together after. So coming from the coaching side, having that knowledge of being aware of how unhealthy it is, never mind what it's doing to the kidneys. And they've done studies where it will um, impede muscle function in the long term. So, okay, fine, your pain's gone, you're able to tolerate this, but your muscles aren't going to behave properly. Never mind what's going on internally and systemically from all. So much, so much misinformation out there. there is, yeah. All right. I want to just ask you a few quick questions. Okay, Give me quick. your opinion. Oh boy. Running shoes <laughs> in general. Okay. Are they the problem? No. <laughs> so kind of like the joke I hit on earlier where I thought um, hamstring tightness was the third leading cause of death in the country 20 years ago. Um, I used to think shoes were so important. And sorry for all the shoe people out there. They are important. Know what type of foot type you have. Are you an overpronator? Are you an underpronator? Know if you're a heel striker or a forefoot striker. You can get all that information pretty easily at some running stores or go to a health professional. And then get in the sh- a shoe that fits that foot type and keep it that simple. When they, you know, when a shoe changes slightly, you know, like People the gel Nimbus. out. They'll yeah. buy like seven pairs of the yeah. Nimbus. So it's not, it's, it's more the athlete. And, and to be honest, like the, the name of my business, Foundation Performance, was built on that when I was doing work with runners and golfers back then. And, and golfers were spending thousands of dollars on new clubs, new clubs, new clubs, better balls. Meanwhile, they have no thoracic rotation and they have a weak rotator cuff. 
So then I should tell them, the body is the foundation to your performance, not the clubs. <laughs> I'm telling the runners, it's not about the freaking shoes. I'm in a, just a neutral shoe, but I wear my shoes long. Like I'm in Hoka Clayton's right now. I'm about 800 miles in them. But for me, as... 800 is a lot. Yeah. yeah, I've been doing a lot. Of, I've been doing this for years. So I'm not saying go out there and do it. What I'm saying is know your body, walk barefoot a lot. Yes. Get out of those flip-flops. Yes. With have no support and um, don't let the shoe dictate your performance. Yeah. Definitely barefoot. Barefoot training. Five to ten minutes twice a week of some sort of barefoot drills. Hugely important. Jump rope barefoot. Be barefoot. Get your toes dirty. Don't, don't go out and run ten miles barefoot right away. No. Yeah. And don't don't spend too much energy and time on shoe selection. Jump rope. Love it. Why? I use it. Okay, the theory I go by, one, it's a good cardiovascular. Your heart rate gets up there. But for me, it's the the loading of your body. I like to use it um, not only in some of the strength programs I develop for runners, but as a warm-up. So if you think about it, and I do a, a, an exercise called a running jack, which is similar to a jumping jack, which is all you know, similar to skipping rope, right, but no rope. When you run, depending on your stride, you can have anywhere from two to four times your body weight slamming into your leg, right? So some people will do these like leg swings and toe walks and heel walks, and they do a couple of exercises, then they go off for their run. Okay, so maybe mobility-wise, they did enough to wake up their joints. Maybe strength-wise, they did enough to wake up their muscles, but they didn't prepare their body for the impact of running. Jumping rope beforehand, if you think about it, two feet are hitting the ground, right? Or even jumping jacks, two feet are hitting the, hitting the ground the whole time. They're hitting underneath your center of mass, and you're most likely going to be up on the ball of your foot. All really good things for runners. And it's 50%, the load is cut 50% because you've got two feet on the ground. And because you don't have this forward momentum and braking force that's entering your body, it's even less. So you might have one and a half times your body weight going through your feet, um, jumping rope, but then you divide that by two. So now you've prepped your plantar fascia, your ankle joints, your knees, and your hips for impact. So it's impact preparation is the way I like to use jumping. I love that because I give jump rope after the runs. The reason I love everything that you said, and I'm going to actually start incorporating that because yep. it totally makes sense to me. I use it after the runs, and it's not long, and it's usually like double, single, double, single, like bouncing yep. back and forth because it gives me some insight into how my run went. If I'm tripping over the rope, I didn't, I wasn't really on the balls of my feet. I wasn't really crisp and clean. I'm yep. kind of like sluggish. Yep. When I come back and I jump rope and I never, I, I can bounce right through them, it was a good run. Like I feel like, yeah. It's a good day. It was a good day. Like yeah. I was pattering it, but I am going to incorporate it now. Try it um, before. before and see if Absolutely. you notice the difference. Yeah. Good one. All right. Plantar fasciitis, you mentioned it. You did a video on it. It's helped me. It's, it's helped an, many people on our team. It's an old video. But here's the question. So is plantar fasciitis the culprit? Is it the culprit? Is it mm. like the, like I have plantar fasciitis, I shouldn't be able to run or shin splints. Like I'm not, I can't run anymore. Okay. Or what is the root of it? Um, <laughs> oh, it's it's a such a hard question. question. Yeah. Okay. And you, and you pick the two biggest bucket diagnoses in runner's health. Well, plantar fasciitis. Plantar fasciitis and, and shin splints. Like, what, what, stick with plantar fasciitis. What the hell is a shin splint? Like, I, I've never, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's another, okay. PF so, is, is what, what we hear the most um, about. And it's very common. And if you think about, so the plantar fascia is that thickening of connective tissue in the bottom of your foot. Every time your foot's hitting the ground, you're causing a ballistic stretch to it, and then it recoils. Let's say you do a thousand thousand foot strikes per mile, you're running eighty miles a week. 
That's a lot of foot strikes, right? And then at night, what ha- when you're non-weight bearing, the tissue shortens and tightens. So the reason plantar fasciitis is so hard to treat and get rid of is because we're constantly irritating it. And in that video, I talk about first step pain. So as soon as you wake up, your foot hits the ground, everyone's like, oh shit, there it is. And it, you re-irritate it every single morning. Sometimes it truly is plantar fasciitis, which is a breakdown of the collagen and the plantar fascia. Um, it's not necessarily like an inf- like a tendonitis. They've actually seen more of a, a breakdown than in, than just inflammation. There's also other mus- tiny muscles in there, which I love getting in and finding that. So there's two muscles that attach to your big toe that, it, well, one that attaches right on the inside of where the plantar fascia is. So we'll get a, a dry needle and pop it in there, re- release a trigger point in, in these muscles and release some of that tension. It's a It's a very tough injury to get rid of. It usually goes away. It's called self-limiting. Sooner or later, it'll go away whether you did nothing to it. It just takes a long time. If you run while you're trying to treat it, it'll take longer. But absolute rest might not be the answer either. So fortunately, in one of my offices, I have an Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill. So we can unload someone or we'll use cross-training if they're not going to come in to use the Alter-G. But we can keep people moving and you just have to treat what was the reason. Are they um, overweight? Do they have a really high stiff arch and they have no pliability in there? If so, we got to teach them how to pronate. We got to get them more mobile. Do they have a an Alabama floor sucker type of flat foot? You know what I mean by Alabama floor sucker? Yeah. Like super flat. Super flat. Like they're walking across the floor. You hear like. What about inconsistent training? Going out for that long run and once then, a week and then doing nothing and then doing nothing. Bad. I don't. I mean, coaching philosophy. You might not agree with this, but. Like health and resiliency wise, I'd rather see someone run every other day a certain amount of mileage consistently than doing, okay, Monday I'm going to do three miles and then um, Friday I'm going to do my long run and get in 10. Yeah, we're, good. we're proponents of even you can get out for 10, 15 minutes every other day, if not every yeah. day for the athletes that are that find time limiting yeah um just to keep moving it's not you're not and you get that long run in if you can get the consistency going yeah. your body will and think will if you think out. of it from an injury perspective it's um you're building resiliency constant look constant healthy stress to tissue builds strength it's a thing called wolf's law you can look it up the, the more stress you put on the body the more tissue it'll lay down to make it stronger until you add too much and that's when injury occurs right yeah so if you can get this low load stress even in the injury process, like thank God we have the Alter-G and other things that we can do, adding low load healthy stress to an injury increases the healing. That's why absolute rest is so passe. Like that was back in the 80s. No absolute Active rest. Recovery. Active, Active recovery. Active recovery. Yeah. You've been so um, generous. and This is awesome. Yeah, this is awesome. And I'm sure we'll do it again. So how can people connect with you and find you and see you and get your expert advice? Okay. So right now, foundationperformance.com, all one word, regular spelling is... Um, the website for our physical therapy practices. MichaelSilvaPT.com um, is the site I'm using for more of my public speaking. Um, I'm trying to get out to many, many different um, coaching clinics um, and any running event I can. Um, if anybody wants to hire you to come in absolutely. and come to their camp. I love it. I'm spending more of my time now trying to work on the education and injury prevention side, and I've got such a great team of physical therapists that are doing the rehab part for me. Um, so those two websites and myrunstrong.com, the site's not built yet, but that it would be when I start offering the courses. Our fir- the first course I'm going to be doing is for running coaches to try to teach all the kind of stuff we're talking about, trying to educate coaches on how 
to open their eyes to these things. Not trying to sound like I'm like this elevated anything new, but you're yeah, you're, you're putting your philosophy together. Yeah, and trying to explain to them why this I call it foundation health is important. Like you want a strong, resilient, fast team that can't be hurt. They can't be bef- underperforming because they're not rested. So trying to teach that unsexy. Um, the no thank you types of running health to these um, coaches and giving them tools and handouts and ways to incorporate it into their training philosophy so they can get that information to the kids so we don't keep destroying our kids at such a young age, these runners. I've seen too many runners never get through their sophomore year of college because they're so burnt out and so hurt. Amazing, Mike. You're such a um, a gift to this running world, you thank and Carla. You. Um, I'm so grateful that we've stayed in touch and, and have been friends for so long and we'll continue to uh, change the world Absolutely. of performance by getting people to and keep, keep doing what you guys are doing yeah it's yeah because it's will. yeah it's like slowing us you're down. joining two extremely important worlds and you're doing lots of good stuff for people this Thank is you. great all right mike take awesome. care all right peace